breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Always an honor to be with all of you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to a podcast that I think covers the issues that should be on the top of the radar for all of you, freedom lovers, believers in free speech, believers in American Constitution, those of us who want to join me in the battle against what I think is the most important battle of the 21st century. Yes, we're fighting a virus. Yes, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Always a lot of things on the urgent agenda. But the national security agenda, the agenda of cultural harmony, the agenda of free markets, and so many other things that uh, I think are important to the defeat of tyranny, to the defeat of all the forms of authoritarianism in the world, from the Chinese Communist Party to the Islamist Supreme Council of Iran and all the other Islamic republics around the world that are theocracies. These are these are the imminent threats, I think, to the world. Why? Because we're not facing them. Because they are a disease that is growing that will take away our freedoms, our religious freedoms, our human rights, unless we begin to confront them. And again, this week, it is being confronted in France, in Austria, in Europe. We're not paying attention to it here in the United States, so I'm going to continue to talk to you about it because every week we're learning things that are new about the fronts of this battle, about what the Islamists are doing and how they're working together to shape and try to propagandize exactly what's happening in France, exactly what's happening in Austria. And President Macron is already already being targeted by not only the far, far left apologists in France, but by the Islamist networks across the world, from Turkey to Qatar to the Muslim Brotherhood networks to the United States, as we saw a piece this week in the Washington Post by their favorite, likely Qatari asset, Karen Atiyah, constantly writing apologetics for political Islam, for the Muslim Brotherhood especially, and always along the towing the line along the line of the axis of the Qatar Turkey axis and sure enough her peace this week does not disappoint if you're an Islamist lover and if you are anti-American and anti-Western and here she is representing sort of the 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 uh, minority opinion supposedly representing Muslims and others Arabs in her global opinion column for the Washington Post. Remember, she was the very, very close friend of Jamal Khashoggi. I'm not going to get into that since that whole thing was obviously a, a whole Saudi fiasco of their tyranny. But the fact that she was used by the Post to represent Muslim interests when in fact it was about Islamist interests. Yes, the Islamists were targeted by the Saudis, as was Jamal Khashoggi. But with what's happening in France, are the Islamist agents in America the ones to respond for us, or are they actually the ones that got us into this mess to start with? That's the theme of today's podcast, ladies and gentlemen. It is the fact that, please, as we listen to those with 
advice, with ideas of how to confront the separatism, the Islamism of political Islam in Western countries. Stop listening to the Islamists. Stop empowering them as representatives of Muslims. Stop thinking that they are the not only the only voice, but the predominantly rational voice. They're not rational. They want to protect Islamism. They want you to feel that you are attacking Islam when you attack political Islamists, when you attack their ideas as being separatists, when you attack the barbarians that slaughtered the employees of Charlie Hebdo. When you attack that, somehow you are... And I'm going to give you later what the the, uh, the good or rather the not-so-good Karen Atiyah said that will make your stomach turn. This week, President Macron noted, as if he needed to say this, but he noted that he deplores the cycle of violence. He deplores it. He's denounced violence by both by and against the police. Now you see some of the same thing the far left is doing against Macron. They're starting to say that his moves against the Muslim population that is Islamist is somehow all about authoritarianism and about pro-police action. Some of the same uh, uh, movements, if you will, that drove Black Lives Matter here. The Islamists worked closely with them in America, but it was driven and fueled by the far-left antagonism for President Trump and the right. There was no flashpoints of Islamism to drive it. In France, there have been some significant flashpoints as the trial of the 14 accomplices with the ISIS killers of the Charlie Hebdo barbarians that killed the Charlie Hebdo employees or in trial, and there have been so many others, attacks and otherwise that have created these flashpoints in France. As Macron said, it is a big lie. It is a big lie that freedoms are being eroded under his rule. He had a security bill that ended up stalling in which he wanted to restrict publishing images of police on duty across the city. A popular video platform, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, I think it's Brut, B-R-U-T, on its Facebook, YouTube channels, Tens of thousands were commenting, and supposedly Macron was following that and very upset by the way he was being portrayed. Last Saturday's violence at Paris's Place de la République during protests against police brutality in Article 24 of the proposed Global Security Bill, all the way to freedom of expression and the roots of terrorism. There were also some Flashpoints that include COVID-19 crisis, lockdowns, and vaccines. Bottom line, the attempt to begin to finally counter the ideology of political Islam was being covered. And unfortunately, the bandwidth that the government had, the lack of French Muslim organizations taking on the mantle of not only pro-French ideology, pro-French culture, and anti-Islamism together showed showed that there was little, little progress being made despite the advanced, I think, approach that French 
that the French have been leading in the past few weeks, which is why I keep highlighting it on this program. He called for dialogue. France has no problem with Islam. We are a country that has always had a dialogue, but we founded our republic on the separation of religion from politics. That was the words of Macron. He refused to be drawn into Erdogan's latest personal attack on him. Macron said, I believe in respect. I think insults between political leaders is not the way to do things. Referring to Erdogan's belligerence, his bullish mentality. And by the way, we're seeing the Turkish folks, their allies, their assets, their ambassadors on social media begin to attack many of us. Get into a little Twitter spat I had with one of the Turkish alliance folks out of New York. Outrage over Article 24 of the proposed security law, as noted in French media, soared to new levels after the police beating of black music producer Michael Zeckler two weeks ago. So you see there are other things being thrown into the mix here. When it comes to race now, you can say what you want about President Trump. President Macron is giving them the language they want. He said, when you are not white, you are more likely to get checked by the police. You are identified as a problem factor, and that cannot be justified. He's pretty clear in his defense of anti-bigotry, of fighting against racism within any police forces. But he also lashed out at the violence against police at last weekend's rally in Paris, which he blamed on troublemakers. He then got interviewed with Brute, this social media platform, a video-based news portal, and he wanted to win credibility with the youth. His ruling party, the L-R-E-M party said on Monday they proposed a complete rewrite of part of the draft security law. So things are beginning to get to the brink. The brink of what? I don't know. We're going to see. But the bottom line is there is a triangulation happening. What am I talking about triangulation? The triangulation that's happening is a coalescence of conflicts between three major forces in Europe and the Middle East. And these is, this is very significant because it is not it is not a military battle, but one of, and I hate to use the words of Samuel Huntington because I disagreed with one of the premises of his, I think, 1991 book, uh, uh, um his, his position on the clash of civilizations, if you will. But there is a clash of cultures happening. There is a clash of theologies and a clash of political approaches of society, secular democracy versus theocracy. The triangulation is between Turkey, the Islamist Brotherhood, Muslim Brotherhood, and all of its Islamist agents and grassroots popular movements, including Qatar and all of their assets, and the third point of that triangle is European nations led by France and Austria right now that are fighting to maintain their personal, their, their national identity of who they are against the Islamist mindset that includes immigrants that some have allegiance to 
the Islamism of Turkey and the Islamic Muslim Brotherhood, and again, I'm focusing more Sunni side, versus the allegiance to Europe and the French nation-states and other secular nation-states and their associated Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Now, that I see that's a triangulation, and that's important because one of the things why we saw positivity in the last two or three years is that there was a separation between the funding by tyrannies like the Saudi regime and the Muslim Brotherhood that had really decimated any efforts at reform for 50 to 60 years since the Muslim Student Association sprouted roots in the late 1960s. And off to the races went the Muslim Student Association, the Islamic Society of North America, the Muslim Public Affairs Council, the American Muslim Council, and on and on and on, the alphabet soup of Islamic Muslim Brotherhood organizations in the West. But now... 2017 comes, they realize that after their awakening that the Muslim Brotherhood is obviously a bulldog that they created with their own ideas, part of the political Islamic mindset, but the corporate Islamists did not want the populist Islamists to win, so now they've declared them terror groups and they're fighting them, which is at least cuts off major funding, but that funding did not stop from some major entities, including Turkey, Qatar, and Iran. So now, as finally a few countries, notably France and Austria right now, but also we've seen rumblings in the Netherlands and elsewhere, are beginning to address political Islamic threat to the identification of their citizens with their country. And as that starts to happen, there's going to be pushback. It's not going to come now from Saudi, from, from the Emirates, from Bahrain and others that have not only had the Abraham Accords that are beginning to bring them closer to real friendship, genuine theological and political friendship with with Israel and the West, but also they realize that political Islam and its grassroots movements are a threat to not only Western society but to their own. So what's left? What's left is this triangle. The remaining regimes, because without the regimes, the popular movements will die. We saw that in Libya. We saw it in Tunisia. We saw it in Egypt. Now, each response is different. We can debate about how those responses happen. But the bottom line is, is that right now, the oxygen for political Islam and its propaganda with the state media of Turkey, the state media of Qatar with Al Jazeera, bolstered by its allies from Russia to China, and also the Shiite side in, in Iran with the Khomeinists and its state media, press TV, etc., bolsters it. But that triangulation of the popular Islamist movements with Turkey, Qatar, and its assets, and the third part versus France and its movement against political Islam is where the flashpoints are, and pay attention, ladies and gentlemen, where each of these battles are is going to show a trajectory of what we've been saying for a long time is that these battles will continue until we have an offense within the Muslim population against the Islamists at their home base, within the faith of Islam, within the Muslim consciousness. And that consciousness is one that's going through the same process that the West went through. So it's not anti-Islam, it's not anti-Muslim, it is pro-liberty and anti-theocracy. 
pro-freedom and anti-Islamism. France this week moved to investigate dozens of mosques suspected of separatism. New York Post reported this week that France will on Thursday start investigating dozens of mosques suspected of fomenting Islamist ideology to combat the rising threat of religious extremism, Interior Minister Gerald Darmanin said. The government has launched what it calls an unprecedented action against separatism following several Islamist attacks in France a few months ago, including the beheading of a teacher who had shown his class caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad, Samuel Paty. Darmanin said 76 mosques out of the more than 2,600 Muslim places of worship had been flagged as possible threats to France's Republican values and its security where suspicions are confirmed the mosque will be closed down he said so that's interesting they went on to talk about the fact that investigations will dig into the mosque financing background of the imams deemed suspicious and search for evidence among other things of quranic schools for young children president emmanuel macron has worried of the growing menace of the Islamist separatism and its challenge to the unity of the secular French Republic. Core French values such as freedom of belief, gender equality, and the right to blaspheme are threatened in localized areas, he has said. And he noted, quote, Faced with this ill that is being into our country, France has rallied with resilience, with determination. The president wrote in a letter, to the Financial Times newspaper in November. Now, the AP goes on to report that the government's crackdown has left some Muslims feeling increasingly alienated in their own country. Some Muslim leaders, while backing the government's fight against Islamism, have warned it against inadvertently lumping in the majority with their faith with the fomenters of hate. So, this, I, I think, sort of summarizes where we're at. There's no doubt that they said some, not all. And all I can tell you is that are these Muslims going to be observers or are they going to be leading at the tip of the spear the ideas to defeat political Islam and reform against? And what are those ideas? Is the ummah universal concept of people of faith or is it only for Muslims? Does it mean state or does it mean faith community? Those meanings are both seen in the Quran. And at the time of the Prophet, are we going to do what the Prophet did in the 7th century? Or would we ask, what would the Prophet do today if he were alive? Would he embrace the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and reject the Cairo Declaration of Human Rights of 1991? Would he embrace secular liberal democracy and reject Islamic republics and the Islamic states as seen in Iran and Pakistan and anywhere or anywhere in the future? The utopian concept of Islamic State does not exist, will not exist, because it's based on a premise that the source of law is the Qur'an rather than a source. Now, the battlefronts where this is being waged, as I said, is in France, in secular countries, but the battle against, you'll see some of the propaganda happening coming from Turkish television, coming from Turkish state media, coming from the Turkish president and his inflammatory language about President Macron, calling from the populist level among the Islamists for boycotts against France, against French companies, 
from Iran to Turkey to Pakistan, the calls for a Turkish boy for a boycott of French products are increasing. And the verbiage from the top to the grassroots, the top of Erdogan, the heads of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Al Jazeera's of the world, with tens if not hundreds of millions of viewers, are beginning to inflame it. And it's come all the way to the United States. The Washington Post, one of the primary avenues of mainstream traditional media apologetics for Islamists, had a piece this week by Karen Atiyah. And I'll get to the importance of that in a sec. But Turkey, also while it wages this war of demonization of Western secular thought, of its fight against political Islam, has also, I think, in a great editorial this week also from the Wall Street Journal, talks about the price of Turkey's Russian dalliance. So Turkey has been an American ally since 1952. And Sirlik Air Force Base has been essential in the war on terror. The Turks helped thousands of Syrian refugees for decades. Turkey worked to build a society open to people of all faiths and stood against Russian aggression. But a valuable ally has drifted. And by the way, it's drifted completely in line with the Islamist takeover around 2000 with Erdogan. The U.S. agreed to sell Turkey 100 F-35 jet fighters and include... Turkish companies in manufacturing components of the aircraft. But three years ago, Ankara decided to purchase the Russians' S-400 missile defense system designed to shoot down the F-35, allowing Russian advisors to work near F-35s and giving the S-400 radar proximity to American stealth aircraft is completely unacceptable. So not only are they buying from our antagonists, our enemy and the Russians and and all their allies from Iran on. But they are giving them our technology. Traitors. Of, obviously not our country, but traitors of the NATO alliance. Diplomats, the Pentagon and senators, including us. This is, by the way, a editorial from Senator Graham and uh, Senator um, Langford from Oklahoma. Diplomats warned Turkish governmental officials that there would be consequences. The president should now follow the law and levy sanctions against Turkish entities. The Countering American Adversaries Through Sanctions Act requires sanctions against any country that engages in significant transaction of defense assets with Russia, Iran, or North Korea. President Trump demonstrated his commitment to putting American interests first, and the president has given Turkey every opportunity to cooperate with NATO Congress and with broad bipartisan support, included enforcement language on Turkey in last year's national defense authorization. So, fantastic. Could not agree more. And it needs to now, people say, oh, you can't kick Turkey out of NATO. You can dissolve NATO and then reconvene it a few seconds later without Turkey in it. Yeah. I believe it's what Dr. Pipes and a few other experts on these issues have thought of. I certainly didn't come up with that idea. But there's no doubt that it's time to let Turkey face the music 
and no longer have it be basking in the protection of NATO while it subverts Iranian sanctions, sells gold to Iran around European sanctions of Iran, works with our enemies, works with Qatar. Now, obviously, Qatar is our allies, but it's so pro-Muslim brotherhood. We need to do the same thing with Qatar, close our base there, focus more on Saudi and and, uh, the Emirates, and allow Qatar to continue to bask in its friendship with the Taliban and the friendship with Iran and all of some of the worst actors on the planet. But what did the Washington Post publish this week? So here we have, so you see the inflammation happening at the top with Turkey tending more towards our enemies. You see the grassroots inflammation. You see the cultural conflict happening with the flashpoints in France and Austria, and you're starting to see what I'm talking about with triangulation. You're starting to see what's evolving into 2021 and the reality that we are headed towards a come-to-reality of how these ideologies eventually run into each other. There's no way this... 20th century Game of Thrones phenomena that we had with the Middle East and where we our allies were giving uh, fuel to grow the Islamists around the world, there's no way that that's going to continue generation after generation until it finally gets to a flashpoint conflict against the West because the ideals have nothing compatible. Democracy is the only thing vaguely compatible and our understanding of democracy is the protection of minority rights. Their understanding of democracy is, as Ben Franklin said, three wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. It's majoritocracy. It's mobocracy. And this is all coming to fruition. I want to end by talking about this horrifically deceptive, but for those of us in the game, obviously apologetic pro-Islamist, anti-American op-ed from Karen Atiyah in the Washington Post. This is one of the apologists for Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and the most radical Islamists that have platforms in the United States. She, by the way, this got personal a little bit because last week I talked about some of my criticisms of what's happening in France and talked about a story and I said I hadn't been proven yet, but it seems to be uh, uh, reproduced. And a story that talked about Macron asking for ID, kids' ID numbers, for kids to go to schools. And spent a little time talking about it. Turns out the French have rejected rejected those reports as being completely fake news. And Atiyah was one of the ones disseminating and tweeting that and creating the false report. That schools were going to begin to track French Muslim kids. So I apologize to all of you for getting that story wrong. Again, I, I was reading to you the sources, and and uh, we continue to talk about what's happening in France because of its flashpoints, because we're learning. And week to week, across the pond in this locked-in, isolated environment in COVID, we're trying to get the facts straight. But folks like Atiyah make it very difficult. Her latest op-ed went further this week. And, you know, we're not surprised... A lot of the funding tracks of some of the work that she does, whether it's New America Foundation or whatever, has 
apologetics and support from folks that include the Qatari government and their associated long-term relationship with the Muslim Brotherhood, Yusuf Qardawi, and other radical Islamists that have radicalized countless number of Sunni Salafi jihadists that have been one of the conveyor belts, the primary conveyor belts to create members of Hamas, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and other Sunni Salafi jihadists. Atiyah never takes them on. And her perch at the Washington Post doesn't seem to care that she alienates the 70% plus anti-Islamist, non-Islamist Muslims that she dismisses. But her op-ed this week, so I'm going to address her, I I think what, what really points out where her mindset is and why it's important for all of you to spend a little time hearing about it is it is typical with what we find with the Islamist apologists out of Brookings Institution, out of the Center for American Progress, out of tons of Soros-funded organizations, tons of left organizations, and part of the red-green axis of this cooperation between the left, the red, and the green, the Islamists. And I've talked to you about that cooperation before. Well, Atiyah's op-ed this week went head-on to attack Macron. And it sort of shows you the agenda of the Islamists. The method, the, the venom, the fabrications that are being used to attack what the Macron administration is doing in France. While again, I've been critical of some of the things they're doing, but part of their dysfunction is because there's been no anti-Islamist voice among Muslims. So imagine anybody from another faith trying to work against a theopolitical radical movement within that faith that's threatening their country. It would be dysfunctional unless it's from within. Even from within, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a civil war for those of us fighting. But for those from outside, they're going to be targeted as anti-Muslim. And sure enough, the battle's already started. Well, you know they're hovering over the right target with the crosshairs. You know you're near the target, as they say, when these guys, when these Islamists and supporters and sympathizers are getting upset, and sure enough, they're upset. Thomas Chatter and Williams had a tweet thread, Twitter thread, that went through Atiyah's article and I think pulled out some of the most salient parts that were obviously biased and pro-Islamist. Atiyah noted, irresponsibly, The attack was a national trauma, and she's talking about the Charlie Hebdo attack, for a non-Muslim population that fears Islam. On the other hand, many Muslims find themselves on the receiving end of discrimination and Islamophobia. Oh, so the moral equivalency of this fictitious, fabricated, exaggerated, whatever Islamophobia is, with where Muslims are, and with Charlie Hebdo. She sets it up so that a beheading of an innocent man in the street was traumatic only for non-Muslims, implying it wasn't traumatic for Muslims as well. Their lives only make sense through the prism of Islamophobia? That's the Islamist mantra, isn't it? That manages to be insulting to everybody involved, as Williams points out. The idea that you'd only be traumatized by this because you fear Islam is preposterous. 
She's actually making the damaging conflation between Muslim identity and Islamist terror that she would accuse Macron of doing. That's exactly what she's doing. Such a good point, such a smart point. Williams notes, he notes, she's actually making the damaging conflation between Muslim identity and Islamist terror that she would accuse Macron of doing. I've said that so many times, that that the Islamists actually love believing there's only one Islam. Erdogan said there's there's no moderate Islam, there's one Islam. So therefore, we are all therefore equated with the terrorists. Really? That's what he's saying. That's what she's saying. That's what the Washington Post is posting, not by some guest opinion writer, but by their global opinion leader and editor. And just to force the new American conversation all the way into France, she accuses Macron of white fragility, quote-unquote, for his response to consecutive public beheadings in his country and from a teacher who was trying to teach students about freedom of speech and debate and critical thinking. She noted that Macron and the French media establishment have responded with a feverish fragility. Oh, they need to toughen up against ISIS? Because that's normal for Muslims, I guess? Is that, that, that's the message from the Washington Post? Wow, you know these Islamists are afraid. They're pulling out the most absurd, obscene arguments with what's happening in France now on the pages of an American newspaper that has under its title, Democracy Dies in Darkness. Yeah, you know, your eyes go dark when you get beheaded. And democracy does die then, doesn't it? Doesn't seem to be anything. She, or I guess those are just psychiatric problems. And yet, the Islamists she apologizes for, from the Qatari regime to the Muslim Brotherhood, the Islamists and others, seem to never talk about how to counter-radicalize. Seem to never talk about allegiance to Western secular states. Williams concludes, and finally, after helping spread around the world a dangerous rumor that Macron was assigning Muslim school children special tracking numbers, she flips that incredible mistake into a form of victimization. She said, I was also viciously attacked after making an inaccurate statement that I soon publicly corrected. Oh. Phil Gursky notes that Recent op-ed on France and terrorism, quote, the recent attacks were carried out by deeply disturbed individuals, lone wolves with no ties to international terrorist networks. And he said, there's so much wrong with this myth, it's hard to know where to begin. The piece is pure narcissism. It mentions Samuel Paty's name once, then throws in everything bad you've heard about France, while inserting yourself at the heart of the story, which is what Atiyah did. No state is obliged to stay neutral in the face of what it sees as a fundamental threat to its existential ideas. Another Twitter response from Patricia Hamela. Once again, you are distorting and misrepresenting Macron's discourse and policy. I have to wonder if this is purposeful, she tells Atiyah. He doesn't deny there's racism and discrimination in France, nor is he making life miserable for innocent Muslims. This is ridiculous. Stop exa- exaggerating. 
And as Nirvana Mahmoud, who put together these responses, says on her blog, As I wrote before, Macron needs to be aware of the informal bondage between political Islam and the progressive elite in the West that adopt, defend, and use Islamism as a weapon against their Western rivals. Perfect. Perfectly said. Sister Karen should be appointed as the spokeswoman of the Muslim Brotherhood. Amen. Full stop. We've come full circle, ladies and gentlemen. We started with this triangular battle that's happening and brewing and getting them to the brink. And I think it's only going to continue to increase, and I will continue to cover it here because I think there's a clinic there. Our Muslim Reform Movement is having a webinar uh, this week, follow me on Twitter at Dr. D-R-Z-U-H-D-I Jasser, J-A-S-S-E-R, and also at Reform This Radio. And we'll talk about Islamism, political Islam, Islamist supremacy, and how to fight it. This is the issue of our time, ladies and gentlemen. And this bondage, as Nirvana calls it, between Western progressive elites and the Islamists is suffocating our voice. And, you know, the, the Islamists will tell you that, oh, we're simply some kind of agent of somebody else rather than deal with the ideas that we have. The perfect, the perfect tweet that I responded to this week was from a uh, operative for Turkey, a Turkish diplomat, former consul general in Chicago, his name is Yumut Akar, A-C-A-R. So this consul general then writes the EU after Merkel. And it's a picture of first with Merkel in it and then with her gone and with Kurtz and Macron left. And to Muslims, knowing what's going on, obviously based on what I've been telling you today, Austria, we discussed a couple programs ago, was declaring a war on political Islam and making his belief in it illegal, which obviously is a misguided thing, but the right diagnosis, wrong treatment. And I wrote, exactly, and inshallah, God willing, with no Turkey in NATO. Absolutely. That would be the key, wouldn't it? Well, another one of the Turkish diplomats, press secretary for the Turkic Council, apologist for the AKP, Erdogan, essentially one of the largest Islamist groups in the West, built the largest mosque. Now, I don't know their connection to the mosque, but again, the Dianet, the Turkish religious uh, division of its evangelical political Islam that threatens the West, built that mosque in Baltimore. But this guy, Kahraman Halistalek, however he pronounces his name, says, oh, we know of Christian Zionists, but there are also Zionists who call themselves Muslim, such as Dr. Zudi Jasser. What a human failure. So I said, oh, fascinating. Seems that the takfiri, telling who's a Muslim and who's not, is takfirism, to reject, to, to declare somebody an apostate. And that's what the Turkish leaders do. That's what the Islamists do is... When you fight their ideas, they declare you an apostate. You're not part of their faith. And that's exactly what this Turkish diplomat and their agents did on social media. And the Turkish consul general responds. He says, Zudi, the last jihadist bender. And it's so incoherent. I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about. 
And he says, if the dog's prayers were answered, bones would rain from the sky. So, basically, it seems like he's doing the uh, Turkish alcohol, the Raki sauce a little bit when he tries to tweet. But the bottom line is, is these guys are irritated. They don't want anybody to stake them on, let alone somebody with coherent thoughts against the Islamists who's Muslim. So they try to dismiss us with ridicule, patronization, and bizarre psychotic comments. Next time somebody from the AKP party in Turkey tries to uh, tell us that they are good allies, remind them that they subvert American interests at every turn with Iran, Qatar, Hamas, ISIS that they've supported, and the Ikhwan, and Russia, and against Israel, the Kurds, and freedom. Just to name a few of the areas where their interests run south of what the United States stands for. All right, folks, more to come next week. Always with you here with Free for Freedom for America, the land of liberty. And hope you're staying safe in this pandemic, getting ready for the holidays. Yours truly, Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Podcast. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.